And we sing praises to God because not only it is, is it good and right to give our praise, but it also is a way in which we teach and train our hearts to glorify God and to attune our lives to God's purposes by all of the words that we sing and, and whatever gusto we have behind them or whatever lament we have in our hearts. All of this in our song is offered before God. And we do this to prepare our hearts to receive God's word. And so this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 24. Genesis is pretty easy to find. It's the first book in the Bible. So just open up, go past the table of contents, and then make your way to Genesis chapter 14. Now, before we get to where we are, just a, a quick recap of where we've been. So we are asking ourselves throughout this summer series, how do we define the church? What are the defining marks of the church? And we find that definition in Acts chapter 2, that the church is defined by the apostles' teaching, the scriptures, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, centered on God's word. And now we turn to the breaking of bread, and then we'll move to finish out the series to prayers and spending a couple weeks on each one. So we've gone through the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and now we move towards the breaking of bread today. And, and breaking of bread, especially, you know, in this context, might make us think very quickly to communion, which is right and good, because we're going to spend time on uh, stories about breaking bread together or bread in front of one another. And there's lots of bread stories in Scripture. And we're, we're doing this to build up to celebrating communion once again. And when we think about communion, um, there, there's just part of our context of this year that comes to mind. You, you might remember this, that um, Easter this past year in 2020 was on Pastor Audrey's birthday, which for her was like, whoa, this is a great gift. And, and more, even more so, we were going to celebrate communion. And it's almost like a birthday party. Now, communion is not about Pastor Audrey, it's about God, but you're included in it. And so to receive communion on your birthday is a reminder that these are what we say the gifts of God for the people of God. It is a gift. And the excitement of like having a birthday, celebrating life, opening presents, celebrating these gifts on your birthday drives that point home. In the same way that, that, that baptism is our rebirth in Christ. When we read scripture, it's, it's, it is our birthday as a new creation in baptism. And communion is like a birthday celebration of our new identity. Christmas morning for a child has the hype and excitement. And, and if we as Christians could tap into that energy when we come to the Lord's table, we would be getting something right about the joy that it is to receive these gifts. And so we're going to build up to that, remembering that communion is a gift, and it is to be enjoyed and celebrated, and it is like a birthday celebration to remind you of your new birth, your rebirth in Christ. For in Christ, 
The old creation is no more, for the new has come. And so we start with our breaking of bread stories in Genesis chapter 14, beginning at verse 17 and going through the end of the chapter. Now, just a little bit of what happened leading us up to this. Um, There was this oppressive king named Kederleomer, cool name, bad guy. Um, Kederleomer um, had, had risen up and had taken over different people, and there was a great rebellion. And Abram stayed out of it until his nephew Lot was captured. And then Abram got involved in this. And where we pick up today is right after the defeat of Kederleomer. And the defeat would not have happened without Abram and his group. And so we pick up with some interesting names today like Kederleomer and Melchizedek and a a few others as we get later into the text. But we do so after celebrating a great victory. And there's the breaking of bread that follows this story. And so before we read Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 24, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. Speak to us your truth, O God. Speak it into our hearts today with with clarity, with conviction, and with joy that we may identify with this story in Scripture as part of our story, that the narrative of our life may be shaped by the lives narrated in Scripture. And so by your Holy Spirit, open the Scriptures to us to our hearts, to our minds, to the reshaping of our lives, that your kingdom purposes may be our highest concern. Speak, O Lord, your truth, for we, your servants, listen with hearts in tune to you. Amen. Genesis chapter 14, beginning at verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kederleomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you, you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are certain places that you go to eat, 
that when you are there, you know that you are home. I have not lived in my hometown of DeMott, Indiana for 13 years, but it doesn't matter because every time I am at my parents' house, I am home. And I don't need to ask permission for if I can have something to eat or if I can go out to the garage to get something to drink. I don't have to ask permission or know what the rules are. I don't have to worry or wonder about any of that because I am home. And home is a place of of generosity and of mutual blessing. And there's nothing transactional about being at home or, or eating with my parents. You don't have to worry or wonder about getting a snack because gone are the days where we had to ask for snacks. My sister used to hide her favorite snacks throughout the pantry just so we always felt like we were running out of fruit snacks, in part so mom would buy more and also in part so she had a secret stash to herself. She often kept them behind the green beans. And that's the thing. When you're at home, you just know all of that. And there's nothing transactional. At home feels good. And you can eat and drink and know that you are welcome to do so. This is the essence and and hope for homes. Not everyone grew up in that setting of home, but it is the type of home that we long for. There are times where we eat and enjoy our food, but it is also a little bit transactional, and, and that's okay. Think of if you go to a restaurant. You are there for a transactional purpose. You will order food, it will be brought to you, and you will pay for your food, and then at a reasonable amount of time, you will leave. You are not at home when you're in a restaurant, even if you're enjoying the company. And what I mean by that is, if you're in a restaurant, they don't exactly like it if you just get up from where you're sitting and head into the kitchen and be like, oh, hey, sorry, everybody, I'm just here to get a snack. You don't do that at restaurants. That's not welcomed behavior because you're not at home. You are somewhere else. Now, not that transactional does not mean ungenerous. In fact, if you go out to eat, you should tip generously. But it is still a transaction. It is a goods and service back and forth. You need to bring what you intend to bring, and they need to bring out to you what you have requested. It's not the same as being at home of mutual contribution, of mutual blessing. When Abram is greeted by Melchizedek, and there's some that we know about Melchizedek, but not a lot. Read the book of Hebrews and just find all the places where Melchizedek is mentioned. He's a fascinating character, but that is a different sermon for a different day. But when Abram is with Melchizedek, he is at home. He's, he's not trying to keep things even or paying attention to, did he bring enough? Did Melchizedek bring enough? When Melchizedek greets him, it is for the purpose of mutual blessing. Melchizedek brings bread and wine, and he serves a feast to Abram. And in turn, Abram gives him a tenth of everything. This, this is part of the origin and essence of teaching on tithing throughout the Old Testament. Melchizedek, king of Salem brought out bread and wine, and he was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. 
it's not transactional because the amount of food that Abram was given by Melchizedek was not the same as the tenth of everything Abram had given to Melchizedek. But it is an at-home moment of mutual blessing. Hold on to that type of moment. Sitting in the joy of someone's company in a place that you are comfortable and familiar. This is the interaction of Abram and Melchizedek, and they are both mutually blessed. But there's another person in play here. The king of Sodom is actually mentioned as the first one who came to him after the defeat of Kederleomer. Earlier in the chapter, we know that the king of Sodom's name is Bera. But with the king of Sodom, with Bera, Abram keeps it at a transactional level. He is intending to keep the books clean. He's not at home with Bera. This is not the same. It's not the same setting. It's not the same person. And though it can be generous, it is still transactional. There's still a guarded protocol to Abram's relationship with Bera. Now hold on to both of those, Melchizedek and Bera. As we think about the breaking of bread, as we think about communion, hold on to the idea and let it build within you over the next couple weeks that at the table, this is one of the places that we should be at home in our hearts. In partaking of the bread and the cup, we should be at home. And we should be reminded not only of the people and the familiarity that that give us that at-home feeling, but we should be reminded that this place, this earth, is is not the most at home, but this table points us to our at-home of the kingdom that will fully come. Now, even at home, among your families, maybe you have this same interaction too, Um, But, you know, if there's something really good-looking in the fridge, and you know there's like a family event coming up, you you might ask, and and my siblings and I would ask this often, is this food for something? And, of course, my mildly sarcastic parents would always say, is it for something? Yes, it's for eating. It's not just for staring at. Is this food for something? Yes, it's for eating. Okay, let me reframe that. Is it for someone? It could be for you. Okay, thank you very much. We ask in hospitality to make sure that, you know, probably this is ingrained in us. Probably at some point we probably ate a dish that was meant for like a party and we probably just gobbled it down without thinking. Somewhere deep in my soul, there's probably a memory that makes me ask, is this food for something? And when I get the, yes, it's for eating, is it for someone? It can be for you. This is the Melchizedek and Abram moment where they bring all that they have together of bread and wine, of blessing and a tenth of all that Abram had. Is this for something? Is it for someone? The something it's for is for blessing and the someone is for you. This is an at-home moment differentiated from Abram's interaction with Bera, king of Sodom. They have just fought together. 
They have accomplished a great military victory. They have accomplished a rescue. But, but Abram, when approached by the king of Sodom, essentially says, listen, man, I am not your friend. We worked together. We accomplished a common task. But we are not in anything more than a transactional relationship. And Abram is guarded against Bera for this. And some of that is found in verse 23, where he's explaining that, that Abram has taken an oath, and, and part of that is that he will accept nothing belonging to you, King Bera, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Abram is guarded against having any credit to the king of Sodom saying, well, I'm the reason that Abram is successful. I made him rich. I made him wealthy. And there is a lesson to be learned. Abram, Abram fumbles around a little bit in his story. He does some slightly dumb things. But this is one of the wisest moments of Abram, one of the most discerning moments. And the lesson that we can take away from it is simply this. Beware of those who claim to make you what you are. Beware of those who claim that they made you what you are. Because often that comes with a cost, and it comes at a price. And we should be reminded, as Christians in fellowship with one another, that, that we do help each other make one another what we are. And, and this is good and right. But we only do that because we have had a new birth and new birthdays, that we remember that, that the one who made us who we are is the Lord Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And there is no cost or price that has not already been paid because the cost and price of making us who and what we are was already paid on the cross of Calvary. The transaction has been completed. And so now what we are left with is mutual blessing. And Abram knows that, that getting in close with King Bera might come at a cost later on. Abram can say with confidence, The Lord my God, he has made me who I am. Not Bera or Bashri or any of the other ones listed earlier in chapter 14. I'm sure Bera might have been taken aback. But we shared this victory together. You rose up. You brought us the victory. But friends, Abram was wise to not make friends with power. And the only other lesson that I think we can quite simply um, bring out of this short interaction, or really a non-interaction, is the reminder to not trade your identity to defeat a common enemy. Don't trade your identity, your soul, to defeat a short-term, temporary enemy. Your identity is not found in power, but in communion when we yield our power to Christ. Because not everyone who helps you defeat a Keterleomer is a Melchizedek. And often we are tempted to make friends with power, as if Abram, anyone who fought against Keterleomer with him, would be someone he would be at home with and friends with. We make friends with political parties, as an example, and say, this is a Melchizedek. 
oh, it's not perfect, it's not great, but this is my Melchizedek because they've helped me identify my Keterleomers, my enemies. And so they must be a Melchizedek because we're going to win this battle together. That is a moment where we are making friends with a worldly power for a worldly gain. It's not mean we should not be involved. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a voice. But we should be ever so cautious taking this example of who we break bread with and who we do not, that we do not so quickly make friends with power in which it will come at a cost, it will come at a price, and we will yield some of our identity for a short-term victory. Abram was wiser than to break bread with King Bera. In church history, there have been times where the church has felt like it's been on the outs, it's been on the downside. After times of persecution under certain Roman emperors, like Diocletian and Nero, there was a rejoicing when Constantine welcomed in the church. And Constantine was treated as a Melchizedek. And if we look at history, he might have been more of a King Bera. Because it didn't take long to switch from people being killed for being Christians and the power dynamics changed and people were being killed for not being Christians. How quickly we trade power. We trade our identity for power. And when we do so, it's not for the kingdom of God. It is for our own kingdom of safety and security. I know this is, sounds like a distant part of church history, but can you imagine within a century going from being killed for professing Christ to then being empowered to kill people who do not? We traded identity for power. We gave up on who we were and the type of kingdom that, that God brought us into through Christ. Maybe that's some of what Abram sensed and discerned by God's grace with the king of Sodom. But he knew he was not supposed to be too close to him. Ezekiel chapter 16 has just a random note. Not, not totally random, but uh, Ezekiel 16, beginning at verse 49, tells us something about Sodom. In comparing the sins of Israel, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 16, verse 49. And it is written, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Is that what you associate Sodom with? Arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, and not helping the poor and and needy. This was the sin of Sodom. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one where, where there is concern for the poor and needy. There is concern for the vulnerable. But in Sodom, verse 50, they were haughty and did detestable things before me, so I did away with them, as you have seen. Friends, Abram sees something different in Melchizedek this priest of God most high. He sees once again that the Lord is generous, that the Lord is one who brings gifts to us for the purpose of mutual blessing to redefine what it is to be at home. Melchizedek greets Abram with a hospitality that is genuine and sincere and does not come with strings attached. 
Melchizedek comes to Abram, and Abram learns hospitality from him, and he duplicates and reduplicates that hospitality in his own life story. And it started with this interaction with Melchizedek, priest of God Most High. This is a relationship of mutual blessing, where we're not trying to keep score, we're not trying to keep the books clean, but we are blessing one another and bringing one another up. And this is the essence of what we should be doing in communion. Bless one another, bring one another up, and remember that this is where you are reminded that you are at home and what home should be, and that you have a new birth in Christ, and that Christ's body broken for you and Christ's blood shed for you is the defining essence of who you are. It wasn't something you could bought, buy or bargain for. It was given to you. Abram's interaction with Melchizedek is that of communion. It brings me back to wonder what it's like to be truly at home with food and drink and people that we love. And I wonder if at the table we would come to these elements and we might ask God, is this food for something? And, and God, with grandiosity and power, but also, I think, a sense of humor, might say, yes, this food is for eating. And then we might, we might want to re-qualify our question. We know the food's not just for looking at, it is for eating, to nourish our body and our soul. We might ask, well, who is this food for? And God would answer us saying, it is for you. Who's this bread for? What's, who's this cup for? It is for you. My son, my daughter, this is for you. And in a spirit of mutual blessing, not just receiving blessing from God, we might want to, to look for a way to bless God back, not transactionally, but with our lives. And I just wonder, if we asked, is this bread for us? Yes, it is. I wonder if God might respond to us and say, hey, that's a nice, that's a nice life that you've got there. What's it for? And you might get a little sarcastic with God and say, for living? And then God might ask you, well, I get that your life is for living, but, but who is your life for? And I think we honor God when we say, it's for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.